We're right in the middle of the retreat. Right in the middle where it's far enough from the beginning and far enough from the end that just feels like things are going on day by day. And sometimes at about this point we can be hit by expectations, thoughts of what should be happening, should be more concentrated, more continuous, should be more interesting, should be more insight, more understanding, fewer thoughts, whatever it is. Sometimes these expectations, we, we, I think, notice the expectations we bring with us in our suitcases more easily in a way. Um, those are a little more obvious. And then there are these expectations that get constructed as we go on the retreat. So just noticing, I mean, expectations are, expectations are, just another object and noticing your relationship to them you know the uh, the um, discontent around expectations comes when the results uh, aren't what we'd like them to be And we, you know, may have the sense, I must be doing something wrong. I need to try harder. Other emotions can come up, feelings of dissatisfaction, frustration, self-judgment, feeling of failure, even perhaps depression. We can start over-efforting, pushing or giving up. And what's the point? Why bother? Again, these are simply arisings, simply more objects that can be known, more experiences that can just simply be recognized. And this too, this too. We can notice the cause and effect relationship between the uh, the expectations the belief in the truth of the importance of those expectations and the consequences if the expectations aren't fulfilled. We can also notice um, what happens if the expectations are fulfilled. Look at what a great job I'm doing. And... uh, an interesting interplay can happen between expectations that get met and expectations that don't get met. Or perhaps maybe just the fluctuation between expectations seeming to be met in one sitting and then a sitting later, wait a minute, those expectations are no longer being met.
I had a pretty strong pattern around expectations around retreat, looking for experience, kind of waiting in my retreat until a particular experience happened and that proved somehow that I was doing the right thing or that I was doing it right or something. It proved something. I'm not even sure what it proved. Had to do with me though. And I found this interesting dynamic between the self that arose around having expectations met, the proof, ah, I'm doing this right, and the self that arose when expectations weren't met, I failed. And I watched myself go between these two. And, you know, it was pretty clear the the self that was constructed around failing, the self that was constructed when expectations weren't met or hopes weren't met, maybe not so far as expectations, but hopes. Um, that was pretty clearly suffering. That was really clear. I mean, I could I could notice that as suffering. The other side of it, when the hopes, the expectations were met, the sense of self that arose there, that felt good. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? And um, it took me quite a while to begin to recognize that the self that arose when things were going well was a setup for essentially failure. That that self that arose when expectations were met, when hopes were met, this is the way it's supposed to be. That became the ideal. That became the the way things were supposed to be. And of course, they're not always that way. And so when things changed, the mind crashed into, I failed. I'm no good. A lot of self-judgment, self-negativity. And I finally began recognizing the self that felt good, the self that felt this is the way it's supposed to be. That really needed to be recognized. Oh, praising myself. Praising is happening. When I began recognizing that side of the dynamic, that's when it really evened out. It can be it can be a little scary to um, let go of hopes, let go of expectations, and let go of the self that arises around the 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 success, because that's where it feels like you know it's kind of like we've been trained to believe that's what we're supposed to feel like. And to let go of that kind of has a feeling of annihilation or something. But we can allow this transition 
this flow of just, it's like this right now, it's like this right now. Pleasant experience is happening right now, and pleasant experience is happening right now. Just that flow between experiences. And not, it's not necessary to cling or attach to, identify around those experiences. And yet we do. And so recognizing that creation of self. Another kind of interesting um, confusion we can have with meditation, a kind of an expectation, maybe a subtle kind of expectation that's not so uh, apparent, is that as we meditate, especially on retreat, that it's like, we expect consciousness to become, or the way we're receiving experience or something, to have a different quality to it. You know, to be a little sharper or clearer or uh, more luminous, I don't know, in whatever your sense of it is, you know, that there's a, a kind of a, a way that we expect our meditation to change how we're experiencing things. And certainly that happens. It does happen. But if we're in a place of awareness where things seem pretty normal and ordinary, we may believe we're not doing it right. We may believe... I'm not trying hard enough, or I'm not continuous enough. If it were more continuous, it surely wouldn't feel ordinary. One of the interesting uh, things about this practice, I found, is that there are times when experience seems completely ordinary, and yet it's very, we're, we're very aware of that experience. So check the awareness. Are you aware? We can be aware and have experience just seem like normal, ordinary sense experience. This is part of that malleability of mind that I've talked about, this flexibility of mind to be able to move between different levels of consciousness. And the clarity or the uh, continuity of mindfulness can be present in ordinary experience. And this is great news for us because we live in ordinary experience outside of retreat. Another area that uh, these expectations can hit us or the uh, expectations, hopes not being met, that doubt can be uh, a mind state that arises. 
Again, you know, I'm not doing it right, or this practice doesn't work for me. It works for everybody else, obviously, but not for me. Um, Maybe a different practice. Again, recognizing sometimes doubt can be hard to see. We get caught in doubt and have... uh, A mind believes doubt and even at times attributes it to wisdom. So learning to recognize the voices of doubt or the ways that doubt speaks to you can be helpful. And then again, it's just an object. As soon as we turn with awareness to the state of doubt, it's like doubt grows in unawareness. And as soon as we turn with awareness and recognize, oh, this is doubt, we really take the nourishment out of that state of mind. So, learning to recognize doubt. Keeping the practice simple. Are you aware? What is awareness naturally knowing in that in this moment? And checking, how's your heart? What's the relationship to experience? If there's a defilement wave, an attack of defilements, if it can simply be known, oh, there's a defilement wave, you know, they can come in waves. It's like, oh, it's like surfing. That's that analogy's been used. Just, you know, the wave of that. If you can ride that in a in a practice discussion group yesterday I was talking about sometimes we can feel the arising of the energy of defilement. And um rather than trying to stop that energy or um ignore it, repress it, suppress it. The mindfulness can ooh can just like ride that energy. I I used the analogy leaping on through the back of a wild horse. Sometimes the the energy of the defilements have that kind of really wild energy. Leaping on through the back of a wild horse and riding with it. So the wave analogy kind of works with that, you know. Riding the wave of the defilement. With that um meeting of the defilement with the mindfulness that energy of the of the defilement it often feels in, like to me it often has an energetic quality to it the arising of a defilement and with when mindfulness can meet that energy it's like the the energy of the defilement 
can be transferred into the mindfulness. It's like an Aikido move. You know how when uh, Aikido, that kind of practice, um, martial arts, where you, you use the energy of someone who's coming at you and then divert it or redirect it. It's kind of that way we can... Uh, connect with the energy of the defilement with mindfulness, and then the, the the energy becomes used towards a wholesome purpose. And there are times, of course, when those waves swamp our mindfulness, when the power of those waves is stronger, more potent than our ability to be mindful. And at those times, you know, find a balancing object, find a, uh, an object that might help you, um, a kind of a primary object. It doesn't have to be one particular thing, but just something that grounds you, stabilizes you. You can use that to help. Often I've found in, the, in times when defilements are strong, particularly emotional defilements, fear, anger, um, maybe mostly the afflictive uh, negative emotions, self-judgment, self-negativity, irritation, frustration. The, those, uh, those defilements tend to um, have an impact in this part of the body, in the torso and the throat and the, um, in the chest area. And so... I found, but explore it for yourself, you know, in my own experience, when I'm having those kinds of um, emotional arisings, I've not found it so helpful to use the breath as a place to try to stabilize, because there's so much activity in the area of the heart, so much sensation related to the difficult emotion, that sometimes turning our attention to the breath can inadvertently hook us back into those sensations and get us caught in the emotion again. So finding, you know, if, if you find that happens, you choosing some other place, you know, feet on the ground, body contact of the chair, using hearing, something that might help to uh, allow the mind to stabilize if the defilements are kind of overwhelming. I'm using a very simple, gentle, persistent, moment-by-moment effort. Pushing will wear you out. Sayadaw Utejaniya sometimes says, this is This is a marathon, not a sprint. Learning how to use your energy over the long term. Patience. Patience is very important because, well, the patience can help to balance out the mind that isn't having its hopes and expectations satisfied. Here's a few words from Sayadaw Utejaniya on expectation. Somebody asked him about expectations and he said, you need to practice patience. Notice every time the mind is eager for results, 
and remind yourself of the right attitude. Only when the mind is simple can wisdom develop. A complicated mind, one that thinks, expects, and plans, blocks off wisdom. The mind must be simple in order to be present and in order to see things just as they are.